Thank you, worship team. Very helpful this morning as we focus our attention on Christ, Jesus, one and only. Uh, he is here with us in a special way with the elements this morning um, as we investigate this passage from Second Peter. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 2, the first five verses and then a couple afterwards, 11 and 12, we're going to be looking at the life of Peter a little bit this morning. Uh, and as you turn there, let me just remind you who Peter is. Uh, he changed. He's one of the great life examples of gospel change, which is the title of our sermon this morning. He, is, uh, he goes from an arrogant, cocky man of thunder. He became a humble, willing, obedient servant of Christ, even to the point of death. In fact, Peter rejoiced in the day of his death. He, he knew um, that he would be reunited with his beloved Savior. Uh, his life was around 65 years, and about half of that was spent devoted to proclaiming the gospel of Christ. So uh, just remember, Peter has changed miraculously, and we're focusing on change this morning. So if you'll stand with me, we'll read together, and then we'll focus and meditate on God's word. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 and 11 through 12 so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then skip down to verse 11. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. You may be seated. Let's take a couple moments and reflect on God's word. <clears throat> Zachary Phillips came to town last night. You can see the flowers right here on stage commemorating uh, Morgan Phillips' wedding yesterday, uh, which is precisely why I'm preaching and not Paul Phillips. The Phillips family and the Kiesler family have been very busy in the last week, and uh, it was a great wedding. If those of you who went, you know this, and uh, it was great to see them married, and now they're off uh, in their new uh, marriage. It's so exciting. But Zachary Phillips uh, and I were having a conversation about how deeply he was involved in his church in Rockingham. He said he's teaching this Bible study, right, of of many men in the church, and it's a systematic theology by John MacArthur. I'm saying Aliska with Wayne Grudem, you know, it's a little more uh, understandable and maybe a little thinner, but no, Zach's rolling his sleeves up, he's diving in, and he's talking to the pastor about leading other things, and it just, it was so exciting to see him get involved. And then pride came over me, and I remember a conversation that I had with uh, Zach in ninth grade, I think it was, and I said, Zach, you know, one day you're going to be a pastor of a church just like your dad, maybe just like, you know, me. <laughs> 
pride sinking into my head. And Zach laughed it off and all of this. But now look, ha, it's coming true. I told you so. That's what I told him last night. Um, of course, that's ridiculous. I was joking. I can't see the future. And I might say something a little softer, like, yeah, you've got a lot of great qualifications, and maybe this will be something that God leads you to, but I'm certainly not going to predict the future. A lot of movies do that. Destiny. Fate. Right? <laughs> they predict the future. They, they let the, the characters in the movie see the future. I'll name a few of them. You know them. Final Destination. Next, Terminator, The Butterfly Effect, one of my favorites, Slumdog Millionaire. These movies, just to name a few movies, deal with the issue of fate and destiny. Is there such a thing as destiny where you can see into the future and know there's nothing you can do to change it? Now, as Christians, we do serve a sovereign God, and he does see the future. The question I'm asking this morning is, does God tell us the future? Now, ultimately, yes. Go to Romans 8. Nothing's going to separate us from the love of God. Each and every one of us is going to, who are Christians, who are following Christ, is going to make it to the end. Preservation of the saints is true. We're going to make it. And so in that sense, we do know. But here on earth, where's our destiny? Where are we supposed to go? Who are we supposed to marry? What job are we supposed to have? And more to the point here, how can we change and grow in our spiritual walk with the Lord? Defeating sin, discovering and killing the idols that so easily entangle us. Truth is, destiny and fate make great movies, but they can lead us to a problem. And that is spiritual fatalism. Spiritual fatalism, if you think about it, is interesting. It's a feeling that genetic forces, that that, that family forces, or the forces of our past experiences, or even our present circumstances, they're just too strong to allow me to change. And it leaves us feeling stuck in concrete. It's like a cast you can never break free from. It's like... I thought about like telling a 10-year-old boy uh, that his arms will never have biceps and solid muscles, and his body will never, ever grow into a man's body, and how frustrating and disappointing that would be for that young boy if he believed it. That's a, a deep longing in the heart of every child to get to the next level. Once you get to fourth grade, you're looking at middle school. Once you get to middle school, you're looking at graduating high school and getting a job. Once you get to you know, the, jo- the, the college and the job, and the, it's just always the next step. They're always wanting to get to the next step and grow. It's a, it's a natural, deep longing from within us. But in our Christian walk, we experience spiritual fatalism. Thousands of people just give up. And coast through their life thinking that this is all there is. No growing passion for God. No peace in trial. No joy in his presence. No freedom from any sin. They're just stuck. And that's it. And you, you hear that, don't you? From this stage, you hear the standard of joy and peace and, and grace and maturity. You hear it from the stage every week. And yet you sit and you think, I'm not measuring up. More than that, I'm not really changing all that much, am I? 
and you feel discouraged. Well, that's, that's what we're thinking about this morning. But then God gave us Peter. <laughs> God gave us Peter. Have you, do you know anything about this guy's life? If you do, that is the greatest source of encouragement, I think, isn't it? Think about Peter's life. What a changed life. If Peter can change that much, then I can too, and there's hope. That's precisely why Peter wrote these words we're studying this morning. So you and I would realize that we can change through, too, through the power of the gospel of Christ. Now, I thought this would be appropriate context or topic for this morning for two reasons. One, it was something I thought about a lot on my sabbatical. And I keep mentioning that, but man, it was great to go away and just think and study. And I looked at the life of Peter very, very deeply and often, and I just appreciated him so much because uh, when I look at Peter, you make me look good, you know, a little bit better than I was before because Peter was such a knucklehead. Uh, but that's not just it. I'd learned some great things about how Peter changed, not just that Peter changed, but how did Peter change? And it opened my eyes to the possibility of maybe me changing and maybe this morning for you as well. Secondly, this summer is a very practical summer. Uh, let me give you some examples. Uh, in middle school and high school, we are doing a Bible study every Sunday night called Ethical Dilemmas. It's called Dilemma. And we look very practically at some difficult situations and choices you can't quite see the right answer for. We try to look at Scripture and come up with something that makes sense. Our mission trips this summer, our trips this summer are mission trips very practical. And on those trips, the high school and middle school students will be studying James. Very practical book. Uh, VBS. I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, I told myself no. Fun Maker Factory. Maker Fun Factory. Every time I do that. Maker Fun Factory is our VBS uh, uh, curriculum this, uh, this summer. And it's very practical about how God builds you into the person that he wants you to be. And it's really awesome. Paul is preaching through Proverbs this summer. Very practical book. And uh, a lot of you can think, you know, when you look at these kinds of topical or practical types of, of lessons and, and sermons and Bible studies, you can think, oh, well, I'm glad for them because they add something to my life. I'm going to be just a little bit better in my business. I'm going to be a little bit better as a husband or a father or a, an employee or, or something else in life that I want to grow to and, and attain. But I want, to, I want to warn you, this practical type of study shows you the severity of the consequences if growth is not happening. It's a life or death kind of situation. That's why Peter says newborns drinking milk. They don't drink milk. They don't, they don't live. So this is, this is a big deal as we go into the summer, and I'm setting it up this morning with uh, this great life of Peter as we start to think about practically how we can change in our lives as well. Okay, the first thing I want to mention about change, about gospel change from 1 Peter chapter 2 is that it's organic. It's not mechanical. It's not just change. It's growth. So we're, we're kind of looking at the difference between mechanical change and organic growth. Peter uses an example of a, of a house being built with stones, like maybe this church was built with stones and other materials to make this church the church that it is. And when it was finished on that day in 2009, I think it was, we all came in for that very first Sunday. This room hasn't changed. I mean, 
trees have changed, maybe a couple of lights or something like that. But the, the basic room hasn't changed. What, why is that? Because it's not, it's not an organic growth that we see in, in a building. Our, our, our buildings don't grow Right? Our congregation grows, but, but the church, in fact, if we keep growing to 1,500 people, we won't all fit in this room. Right? So, so, the, so what do we do? We have to build another room, or we have to expand the room. We have to do something with our building to accommodate everybody. And, and that's what I'm talking about. If, if, if you see your Christian life as a mechanical change, you get to a certain point, and then you stop. A lot of times, we miscommunicate that when people become Christians. All you have to do you see, is pray the sinner's prayer. Invite Jesus into your heart, and you're ready for heaven. Kind of insinuating, although nobody means to say this, but it does carry this thought that once you became a Christian, you know, you just, you're ready for heaven, and you're ready to go, and so you spend your life just, I don't know, doing something. I don't know what. But you've arrived. It's kind of there. But, but the way that, that Peter talks about salvation, you grow into your salvation is organic growth. There's a number of things we can learn from this, and I'll mention five. And no, we're not going till 1.30 p.m. today. I, I will be very brief. First, organic growth is gradual. Did you notice that? Look at verse five. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. It's gradual. It, it's, it's, it's not something that happens immediately. Yes, God is building a house, right? But what kind of stones are they? Living stones. What's the other analogy he uses? The holy priesthood. So the house becomes a priest. That's organic growth. But it's gradual. It's just like watching a tree grow. It's not, it's not immediate. It, it means sometimes you can't even see it. If you sit and stare at it for, for a day, a whole day, you sit and stare at a tree, you're not going to really see a lot of quick growth. Now, I'm not saying growth can happen quickly, but, but, but organic growth happens gradually. Well, I would say from this, we should be patient. Peter changed over the course of 33 years. Think about his life. When Jesus called him as a disciple, what kind of man was he? I mean, did Jesus call him as a disciple? We all, we all noticed how Peter left his nets and his fishing. You, you remember this? He immediately, where does immediately? In three gospels it says Peter immediately got up and left and followed Jesus. Immediately. And we're like, Wow. Peter's awesome. No, Peter's not awesome. The immediate part was really cool. But Peter had a long way to go. And Jesus was never once fooled. He never saw the immediate following of Peter and thought, you're on board with me. Jesus saw that and said, okay, I'm glad for it. I'm not going to deny it or diminish it. I'm glad for your commitment. But we've got a long way to go, Peter. And he says the same to you too. You've got a long way to go. All of us do. So don't be discouraged if you don't change fast enough. That means that doesn't mean you won't change. It means it means you won't be able to notice every time you do. And this brings me to the next kind of thought. If organic growth is meant to be gradual so that you can't sit and watch yourself grow, micromanaging every little step of your own growth, what does that mean? It means that's not your job. 
You see, your job isn't to approach your Christian life like you would a house, where you do micromanage every little thing. Someone somewhere is supervising the construction of this place, and everything has to be done in its proper time. That's, that's, that's not quite organic growth, not quite the kind of growth that we experience as Christians. We definitely do something. We, we fertilize, we water, we do all kinds of things to make something grow. But there's another force outside of you that causes gospel organic growth to happen. And that force is what we should be focused on. That's the key to growing in your faith. Don't follow a man or a woman. Don't follow a, a good philosophy. None of the Proverbs do that. All of them point to the source of true gospel organic growth. This focus is very important. It's here this morning on that table. More on that later. Second, it's not only graduates, it's powerful. Like newborns, he says, like newborns, crave spiritual milk. Uh, This is verse 2. Like newborns, crave spiritual milk. Now that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Pure spiritual milk. The, The key words here that make gospel organic growth powerful is crave is this concept of of tasting something and seeing that it's good you want it you want it and magically you want the milk you go to the milk you ingest the milk and magically you grow that's how it's done so what are we focused on? What are we focused on? That's the question. When my girls were infants, as many of your children have been, you, you, you know, all parents know this. Uh, some of them haven't. Uh, <clears throat> but I used to know three things as clear as day. I used to look at my kids and think, what's in their minds? What's a little baby who can't talk think about? What are they, what are they thinking about now? They're crawling over there. They're, you know, you try to guess. No, no. Three things, clear as day. You can wonder that all day long, right? When they need their diaper changed, when they need to sleep, and when they're hungry. Absolutely clear, all right? There's no question, even without words, because what happens is the baby thinks, I'm hungry. Boom explosion of crying and and i've thought about this a lot and i have a sneaky suspicion that babies are wiser than we think they're a little more manipulative than we think the baby catalogs all of the sounds that it can produce at their age and thinks i could produce the cooing or the laughing or the whatevering that's cool and gets my mom's attention or i can just all out scream because no parent can stand that it's unbearable so that's what they do they devise it they strategize it on purpose they create this scream you know in, in the first five minutes it's like i can deal with that and then there's just like this grunt that you know it gets deeper and you're like yeah so you're sitting on the couch having a nice conversation ah, i gotta go feed the baby see so there's a cry from the baby now why is that why do babies cry like that The baby is desperate. They have a desperate need. I need milk. I want milk. I crave milk. I've tasted and I've seen and it's good. And I want that. And they don't let up. That's the power of of, that motivates you to go to the spiritual milk. And and the problem, a lot of times, if you don't see a lot of gospel growth in your own life, the problem is you might not see your desperate need. This is what I was mentioning, you know, the Proverbs. Oh, they're good to just add something little to my 
to my life. I'm happy for it. I can be a better communicator or a better entrepreneur or a better boss or a better husband. But the truth is you're desperate. Do you see that? Do you see yourself as desperately needing this milk or you'll die? That's where the power comes from. Your desperation meets pure spiritual milk. And then you grow. So that's my question to you. Do you crave this milk? Do you see your desperate need? Look at Peter's life. Uh, just, I'm going to read these words from John 6. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Remember this is when Jesus said, are you guys going to desert me? These other people have deserted me. Are you going to desert me? Peter was like, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. So for all Peter's faults, he got that part right. And what part was that? His desperate need for Jesus. I left my fishing, my family, my, my career, my, all my friends. I even probably, I left the Jewish nation. I came to follow you, Jesus. You're the one with eternal life. The words of eternal life. He saw the spiritual milk right there in John 6. Luke 5, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at, he fell, this is a miracle Jesus performed. He fell at Jesus' knees and he said, wow, that was a great miracle. I'm impressed. No. What did Peter say? He said, go away from me. Lord, I'm a sinful man. He saw his desperate unworthiness and his desperate need for the Lord. The question before the house today is, do you? In this state, if you feel desperately needful of the Lord, and you get to that place where you're like, yes, Peter, I agree with you. I'm unworthy. In that moment, let me just read these words. Let's just get there for a moment. Just feel that desperate need. And as you feel it, I'm going to read these words from Romans 8. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life or angels or demons, the present nor the future, any powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation, will be able to separate me from the love of Christ. That is spiritual milk. The desperation that you cling to. That, that powerfully changes you. This is, this is what we call grace. The grace of God working in your life. Don't just, don't, don't just stare at the law or the standard of Someone that models good, holy, righteous attitudes and behaviors. Focus on the grace of God as it changes you. Third, gospel organic growth is not only gradual, not only powerful, but universal. Think about this. Think about this. Peter is the leader of this new church. He wrote Second, First and Second Peter. He also allowed other writings. Some say he was a part of writing Mark, the Gospel of Mark. But he also allowed other writings to circulate among all of the church members. They put on display Peter's failures. And as I read, I remember the, the time and place I read this on my sabbatical. First Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice, all deceit. And hypocrisy, envy, slander. That's Peter. 
I mean, you can, you can find malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. You can find them in the Gospels, not just Mark, too, all of them. You could find them in other places, too. Remember hypocrisy when, when Paul had to confront Peter in Galatians 2? He was already a leader and a pastor of a church, and, and Paul was confronting him on one of his sins of hypocrisy and envy. He was dealing with this. So what Peter is doing is he is taking all of his failures and all of his sins and with excitement and joy showing them to you and saying, look, it, look at me. Look how, look how much of a, a, an awful person I was. Look at all these wrong thoughts I had. I was right there when John and, and others said, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? I was right there. I promised and swore that I would never deny Jesus, right? I would never, never deny Jesus. And then when Jesus said I would, I'd be like, I scoffed at him. And then I did. And then, I, and then when Jesus rebuilt me after that process, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? I allowed it to be written into Scripture and allowed it to be read and preached on in the church that I lead that when Jesus was trying to build me up, I still got frustrated at Jesus for not trusting me. Do you see how awful I was? Peter just puts it out there. And what he's doing is he's convincing you and me that it's universal, that everybody goes through this. If Peter was that awful and then changed, so can you and I. So this is the basic concept of gospel growth. And my question for you is who knows your sins? In the same way that we know knows knows we know peter's sins and we we gain encouragement from that who knows yours do the people that you mentor see you as the perfect model of christianity just do what i do parents do your kids know that you make mistakes of course they do but do you admit it teachers if you're a teacher or a boss at work is that how you lead you you kind of put this front up you pretend to be something you're not or do people know really who you are? That's the greatest thing that a mentor or a leader could be in the church. Not addicted to sin and just saying, I'm addicted to sin and proud of it. No, not that. But when they mess up and they, they repent and they come back to Christ, they don't hide it. They say, guys, this is me. This is who I am. I'm being real with you. That's gospel community. That's really where gospel organic growth begins to form. That leads me to my next thing, uh, my next uh, idea about gospel organic growth is that it happens in community. It's never just Peter and God. It's Peter and God and others. That's how gospel organic growth happens. Every reference to Peter's audience in second, in first Peter second chapter is plural. Babies, living stones, sacrifices, friends, foreigners, exiles, lives, use, plural. Gospel organic growth is never done as a tree would grow in the middle of the desert. It's always done in a forest. And and it doesn't quite fit the forest analogy, but it does the living stones into a spiritual house analogy. Lots of stones together come together. And uh, this idea is that you grow... As you help others grow, you grow as you help others grow. If you don't actively get involved in someone else's life, 
you're probably not going to experience a lot of, of gospel organic growth. Every time you teach a Bible study or lead someone in, in a Bible study, every time you teach a Sunday school class, every time you share your faith at work or in your neighborhoods, every time you love sacrificially to serve someone else, every time you parent your children, this is a big one for me. My, <laughs> one time I disciplined my youngest daughter who, who's sitting right over there. And uh, she recently uh, disobeyed and then she covered it up. Uh, and then when she was caught, you know, it's pretty sad. And as we talked through that, I got to the end, and I, I usually always say this to her. I say, y- you know why Daddy saw this clearly and why you're probably not going to get away with this so often? I think your teachers, you know, you, you fool your teachers. I mean, you might even fool your mom, but you'll almost never fool me. Why is that, Haley? Am I super smart? No, Dad, you're not super smart. Well, why then? And she says the words that I've trained her to say, you were once me. I'm raising myself. I mean, parents, you know this is reality. Those of you who don't have kids, be careful because you're going to raise yourself and your mom and dad are going to laugh all the way to the bank. They're going to, yeah, that was just like what, you know. So you, you, what you do is you put yourself out there in this community of your family and you put yourself out there and God works on you as you work on, her, on your daughters and sons. It's, it's the way it is. You take one step, like you're prepared and equipped for ministry, right? You take one step into ministry and you're, you're caught. And, and you, wow, God, I just saw another idol. What do I do? And God works on you. That's how you grow organically in the gospel. Now, there is an exception to this, of course, and it is something that debilitates you to the point where you can't lead. This is an addiction that's overwhelmed you and taken over your life. These are things you do to yourself, right? You shoot yourself in the foot. You harm yourself with your own sin. You basically create such a mess that you can't move forward. Or something bad outside of you happens to you. Some illness or special financial disaster that really doesn't have anything to do with you. You didn't cause it or anything. But it still happens to you, and it just overwhelms your life, and you have to stop. These are moments where you need something a little different than organic growth. This is pruning. And pruning isn't really the same thing as growth. It's necessary for growth essential for growth again universal everybody does the pruning but when you're pruned you actually cut back you 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 take a piece of the wall out and then you rebuild it it's it's something where it's not grow but it is very important to growing and that's called restorative restorative you get back to the place where you can actually grow and all of that all of that happens in community finally Gospel organic growth is productive. Look at verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See what you're producing is praise for God. Your life will produce praise from other people. Not to you, but to God. That, that's a great picture of your, of your walk. Why do you grow? Why do you, why do you try so hard? Why do you, why do you let God work on you? Why do you take risks into ministry? 
It's because what you're looking for is other people to praise God. It's a key difference between mechanical change and organic growth. It produces something new out of nothing. This building, I, I said, if we grow to 1,500, you know, we got to, you know, but let's, I wish it was like a tree, right? It would just grow a whole nother like eight feet when we needed it. And it would grow this way a little bit and we'd just have more space. That would be awesome if our building would, would grow like that, but it's not. But our lives do. We, that's what we do. We grow. We grow not like this building. It's kind of like this, this idea of go clean your room, kids. When your child is told to clean his or her room, this is oftentimes what we do with directives from Jesus when we see them. We memorize it. We talk about it in a Bible study. So I say to my daughter, okay, go clean your room. She says, okay. She goes to her room, shuts the door. Ten minutes later, she comes out. She says, Dad, I got good news for you. Yes? I memorized what you told me to do. I discussed it with four of my friends, and I think it's important. Thank you for that. And I'm like, okay. Now, this actually didn't happen in my family, but what if it did? How would you obviously react? You'd say, no, I wanted you to actually do something. When we see the directive from from Peter, from Jesus, to say we're a holy priesthood, a priest is someone who who takes the hand of God and the, the hand of the world, brings them together, right? That's our job as a church. Are we doing that? That's not only how growth happens. It's what growth produces. It's where we're going as a church. It's the trajectory of Christ Community Church. So the end goal is to become a spiritual house that acts like a priest. Letting them watch us grow in our faith, producing good deeds as we focus on God's grace, and gradually the world will see this change and look to the true source, which is God, and glorify him. Peter, from humble beginnings, very bold, very outspoken, gruff, unkempt, vile, physically demanding, with strong and fearless job. He, he felt unworthy all the time, and he was one of the only disciples to betray and deny Jesus. From that to a man who left everything to follow Jesus, who had special insight into who Jesus was. He was the first one to say that Jesus was the living God. He was the first one to preach ever in the new church. He's the rock who first led God's people. He wrote many helpful, powerful books that became scripture. He willingly suffered persecution, imprisonment, beaten and beatings with joy. Tertullian, Origen, and Eusebius, three historians and church leaders, they all state that Peter was crucified like Christ, as Christ predicted in John 21. Isn't that, isn't that a great model for us to follow? We're brothers with Peter. Let's grow like Peter. And as we transition to communion, I'm going to ask the elders to come up. I'm going to say a few words here. Let's together, as we prepare our hearts for communion so we walk down the aisle and see the body and blood of christ we are focusing this morning our attention in the right place it's time to stop looking at ourselves. it's time to lift our eyes up to look at this life the life of christ even more than peter's for christ is the true source 
Let me read these words from Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, Paul says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So this morning, excuse me, Mark, this morning, as you come up, you are going to be coming to the source of all of your gospel organic growth, Christ, who broke his body for you. And Christ, as I pour this wine out, it represents the shedding of his blood for you. Focus on the source. Let's pray. Father, as we begin communion this morning, I pray that everyone in this room would would focus on the right things. And that is you. Lift our eyes, Lord, from our own failures and our own sin to see this grace in the gospel. Here in in, in the, the church where the people of God are, here where your spirit is, Hear where your word is. Apply it to our hearts and minds. And grow us, we pray. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The music will play. The ushers will dismiss you as you come. And please come join us.